0: Hello one and all and a very warm welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddo and wherever you're listening from, it's great to have you with us. Thanks as always for your lovely messages and comments about the podcast. It's always lovely to hear from you. And if you're a new listener to the podcast, well, welcome. And if you like what you hear, do check out some of our previous episodes in this series and even further back if you want, which include guests such as Marianne Keyes, Charlotte Mendelssohn, David Baldacci, Monica Ali, Ben Okri and Jodie Piku to name but a few. Right then, on with today's episode though And as always, I'm joined by two fabulous authors Who will be going head-to-head in a war of the words a little later on My first guest is a writer and teacher And in 2015 was the recipient of the New Writing North Award In 2020, his debut novel won the Betty Trusk Award And was shortlisted for the Desmond Elliott Prize And here to tell us about his new novel, here again now It's Ok Chukwunzalu, welcome to you Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's really great to be here. And it's lovely to have you with us as well, beaming down from Manchester. And my second guest works at Penguin Random House and has previously been shortlisted for Hachette's Mo Sucharan Prize. He is also a contributor to The Good Journal and has recently published his debut novel, Good Intentions, which we'll be talking about today. Kasim Ali, hello to you and welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. And uh, it's great to see you both uh, on our little screen here. I believe you sort of, you know each other, you've met before, is that right? So I don't need to do introductions.
1: Yeah, we've, uh, we have we were at a panel event a couple of weeks ago. We follow each other on Twitter and Instagram now, so I get to see OK in all its glory. <laughs> yeah, we are fully connected. <laughs> But yeah, is that, that's that's about as sort of
0: friends, new friends, as you can be if you're sort of following each other on Instagram, Twitter, and various other things in
2: this day and age. It's like yeah, we're best of friends now. We're Absolutely. connected. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> probably knows me better than I know myself. So we're good. Yeah, we're tight. We're tight. Um, Well, over the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to
0: talk about both of your new novels, which I have mentioned. We're going to get some uh, book recommendations from you uh, of what you've been reading and enjoying recently. And of course, we will do the book off. This is where each of you gets three minutes to pitch us a book you love and you think that we should rush out and buy and read. But we'll get to that a little later on. If I could start, okay, with you and here again now. Uh, So this is Your second novel, it's a novel about masculinity and love and grief and fathers and sons. Perhaps you could set up the story for us and your two main characters as well.
2: Yeah, so uh, Here Again Now is a novel set mostly in London, but also moves across uh, to Lagos and Berlin and Manchester, and it's about uh, three black British men. Um, Akene and Achike are in their late 30s, and they've been friends for a really long time, more than 20 years, and they've always had a kind of a a will-they-won't-they sort of dynamic, where you know that they've got feelings for one another, but for some reason, they've never quite made it happen. And the third character is Chibike, who is a Chike father who's um, got a lot of regrets about life. He has um, He's been a bad father, bad husband, he is struggling with alcoholism and the story begins when Achike moves Chibike into his flat. Um, in Peckham. Achike is sort of um, in this phase of his acting career where he's experiencing an amount of success, a degree of success that he's not had before and he feels really proud that he can provide for his dad in this way and hopefully kind of build the family life that he's wanted and hopefully also get a relationship with the Kenny that he's been wanting for a long time and then a tragic event rips the three characters apart leaving only two of them to come to terms with each other and their grief and and with themselves so yeah as you say it's a novel about masculinity and fathers and sons and different kinds of love and the ways that life can surprise you.
0: And it's a really really great read and I thoroughly enjoyed the book and am I right in thinking okay that the story is partly inspired by a by a house that you yourself shared in your 20s and also like your experience of growing up as well
2: so yeah so the main inspiration for the novel actually comes from the book of Ruth in the Old Testament which is a novel which is a story about uh, two women who, who choose to stick together despite having no formal family ties but the um, the experiences of alcoholism in the story um, I uh, are sort of partly informed by yeah my own experience of, of living with, with three different alcoholics over three different house shares um, it's something that that I think uh, the more I was writing it and the more I was thinking about the way the three different characters interact with alcohol in different ways, it, it really, I couldn't sort of help thinking about the ways that we in society deal with alcohol and our relationship with it. I think Chibike, who is an alcoholic, he, he drinks a lot and he depends on alcohol to sort of process and deal with his emotions but I think and that's the more extreme end but I think that probably more widespread a lot of us probably do have problematic relationships with alcohol perhaps that's something that a lot of us would have seen over lockdown and um, and Mm. more broadly when we came out of lockdown and started socialising again but I thought that was something that I should probably um, address in a broader sense I didn't want to make it seem as though alcoholism is this one thing that only one character to only one kind of person would ever sort of um experience i think this kind of problematic relationship with alcohol is probably much more widespread in society
0: yeah and i think also there's there's different levels of it i mean you talked about the pandemic and lockdown there and actually you know my my 2020 was probably a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol in that i went you know when we weren't allowed out and when the whole world felt like it was going to shit I you know I was drinking every night and not really thinking about it but that was probably having that you know a negative effect I mean I'm sure it was having an even more negative effect even though I was doing it to to feel better and I think
2: that is what often happens with people and alcohol isn't it yeah oh definitely and what was interesting is when you see people who don't drink or you know when I like I've done dry January before and what is interesting is that you notice just how large a role alcohol plays in society and this kind of the expectation that alcohol is this thing that will be this social mm. lubricant and that it's just part of everything and um, and it's interesting how people get sort of treated if they aren't drinking for whatever reason. We'll come back and, and, and talk a little bit
0: more about the book in a moment but um, Kazim if I could talk to you about good intentions um, perhaps you'd you'd tell us a little bit about Noor and Yasmina and, and set up their
1: story for us? Uh, yeah, of course, of course, of course. So, Good Intentions is a story about Noor and Yasmina. As you say, Noor is a young Pakistani Muslim boy who one night goes to a party that maybe he shouldn't have gone to because it's being hosted by his ex girlfriend. And maybe he's a little bit sad that she's his ex girlfriend. And he meets this new girl. Um, her name's Yasmina. She's black, she's Muslim immediately sparks light and it's very cute at the start but then as they sort of start dating and start committing to each other in a very serious way the sort of central conflict of the book arises which is that Noor is not he doesn't want to introduce Yasmina to his parents because he believes that they're not going to accept her because he thinks that they're anti-black and so what kind of happens is you have this story of these two people a massive secret you know he's kind of kept Yasmina in secret for four years what does that do to a really young relationship like this and what, well, you know, it kind of explores the relationship between parents and children and the kind of expectations of parents on their children mm. and millennial friendships and romance and all those, all those good juicy topics.
0: Indeed, all those good juicy topics. Um, and I loved reading this, Kasim. It's a great book, uh, a wonderful debut. And one of the thing, many things I loved about it is that it's, you know, it's a messy love story, for want of a better phrase, it, it it feels very real because, of course, there are romantic com- stories and rom-coms and things that we all love and watch and read, but but actually, in in truth, you know, relationships aren't messy, aren't
1: they? Yeah, you know, actually, I'm a massive fan of romantic comedies. I just watched the Jennifer Lopez one. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so sorry to Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, it's called Marry Me and it's a train wreck. Um, (laughs) but you know I love I love rom-coms and I love watching them because they're just so much fun but I do want sometimes I want to watch a romance that feels like it's got a bit more bite it's got a bit more edge it's got a bit more grounded in reality and by that I don't necessarily mean because sometimes I feel like I read romances that try to be mature and they have like drug addiction and alcohol addiction and sex addiction and I kind of read them and I'm like, oh, okay, you went too far, actually. Where's the middle ground between the sort of really fun rom-com where everything gets solved at the end and those kinds of books. And, I, and so I wanted to write a romance that really felt grounded in this world. Um, so thank you for saying that. Yeah, it is a real messy book. <laughs> in, a way, in a good way. And you know that I mean that in the, uh, in
0: the best possible way when I say that. Um <laughs> Yeah, I I just, I thought it was really, it was really great and, and, you know, believable. And I sort of felt for the characters in it. Um, And to come back to your book, okay, um, you you sort of mentioned this already, both, you know, the the characters are under the gaze of their fathers throughout the book. And I wondered how you approached writing it like this and, and why you wanted this as the
2: part of the device for the story. Yeah, I'm really interested in this. So um, the novel is about masculinity in lots of different ways and I guess one of the things I couldn't avoid was thinking about how we inherit masculinity and the the ideas that we inherit from that and the problems that we are sort of given (laughs) when we're born and assigned male as our gender. Um, And I think we do get a lot of that Mm -hmm. from our fathers um, and whatever their intentions may or may not be. Um, Actually, Chibike in a lot of ways, he, he really wants to be a good father. He just is completely lost a lot of the time about what that means. And I think like a lot of men, I've a lot of like a lot of queer men certainly, um, I have grown up asking questions about what it means to be a man. And and I think there's something that that very interesting that happens when you grow up queer and you are sort of shut out of traditional ideas of what it is to be a man and and certain I guess certain elements of male privilege that make you sort of question the bigger picture, you know. Um, I was never sort of very, I guess, straight acting. So that means that um, I experienced kind of bullying when I was when I was younger. And that sort of prompted me to ask questions about what it means to be a man and why we have certain sort of expectations. Um, the, what the, the writer that I'm going to talk about later, John Paul Brammer, he wrote this brilliant um, article that expresses the, the fact that masculinity is one of these things that Uh, demands so much of us but gives us so little in return and I think that, that and I think that does really come from from fatherhood so what I was trying to do is I guess I was trying to explore the the different ways that fatherhood kind of can exist in the novel I was thinking about you know the very literal way in which um Ashika has a relationship with his father and but then also you know there's there's a stepfather relationship in there at one point and there's a kind of um there are relationships with father figures a chi's relationship with his agent who sort of guides him and gives him advice about his career and sort of steers him along is really important for him because in part of the the sort of the, the vacuum that his father has left in his life and you know and, and from my own life like i'm estr- I'm estranged from from both of my parents and have been for some time so that was something that i i guess couldn't help thinking about in the way that I, I wrote these characters
0: and you've said that there's an email i think in your draft messages somewhere that you wrote to your agent saying that you couldn't write this book. It was too difficult. I'm just wondering what, what changed from writing that email that you didn't send? Yeah,
2: so I think I, I think it might actually still be in my drafts, um, that I, I was gonna email <laughs> my agent just like crying down the phone equivalent on an email, just being like, I can't do it, it's too hard and I was just how I was just so um, confused about how on earth do I bring these characters together and how do I make this feel convincing? And the honest answer is that I just kept at it. Like I I'm really grateful for my Um, friends and my agent and my publisher who've always just believed in in me and my writing and what I can do Um, but I just sort of had to (laughs) force myself not to not to give up and uh, there was a point when I was writing this story when I was writing this novel um, when I guess I realised how I wanted to tell the story I think um, every novelist probably will agree that how you tell the story is a big part of the story itself and um, things just kind of clicked and and, and they clicked because I kept pushing at it and I kept reading and thinking and planning and redrafting but there was a point when I was writing this when things just started to fall into place I was reading um, D.H. Lawrence's The Rainbow when I was writing this novel and the pro style in in that novel really influenced me and um, I was thinking about reincarnation which is this um, part of traditional Igbo Nigerian beliefs from sort of my, my Nigerian heritage and I was looking at um, physics and medicine and it all kind of just like fell into place in a way that was really fortuitous but also but also definitely happened because I just f- kind of for- forced myself to carry on. So, I think it's, I guess a combination of serendipity and also me just being really pig-headed and having the fortunate having the good fortune to be surrounded by supportive people. And Kasim, I know that you know you you've always wanted to
0: to write, and no doubt there are many different drafts of many different stories sat on a computer somewhere that might not see the light of day. But I wondered what, what your journey has been like from writing those possibly getting some rejections to, you know, actually publishing this brilliant book.
1: Yeah. I always feel so, um, so I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for. Maybe, maybe I don't feel like a writer really after I listen to people like, OK talk, because they talk about (laughs) these incredible, um, moments of research that they did and everything they wrote. Whereas for me, I just sort of sit down and I have an idea and I'm like, all right, cool, cool, cool. Let's go. Um, So, (laughs) and I I always feel like a bit of a fraud. That's that's the word. I actually did the math in a previous interview, and Good Intentions was the twenty second book that I'd written. Wow, Um, which is insane! It's insane. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that to say I have absolutely no life, and I should probably go out (laughs) maybe sometime soon. Um,
0: Twenty second manuscript
1: yeah yeah like fully written books wow. that sit on my laptop that will never see the light of day i promise everyone that i'm i'm doing everyone a service by by saying that actually you should never is read it them
0: is it fair to say you've learned from, from every single one of those you've learned so therefore you've got to a point I, where it's
1: like i think that i want to say yes but okay. if you <laughs> ask me to sit down and write what i learned from each book i don't know if i'd be able to, to say it i think okay. actually the truth is I often say when people say, you know, how long did this take you to write? I say six weeks and they give me all of these sort of like, oh my God, I can't believe it. But then I always follow that up with the actual truth is that it took me eight years and 21 books to get to a point where I could sit down and I could just write for six weeks straight. And also, you know, the aforementioned lack of a life. Um, (laughs) But I, you know, those 21 books did get rejected and I'm glad that they did. And I'm very proud of the fact that Good Intentions is the one that kind of, broke through as it were but that rejection has made me into a very resilient and and much like you okay a stubborn person because now i'm sort of like oh if something's not happening i'm just like oh yeah i got rejected for like 8 straight years like nothing can break me now
2: and you know i really relate to that like my first novel this novel that i wrote now i wrote much more quickly than my my first but my first novel god I, it took me like eight, it did take me 8 years to write that and i must have written at least seven drafts of it. And each time I drafted, I changed stuff and I learned stuff. And I think it was partly because I was just, I was in my twenties and I was changing as a person all the time. But I think that I do definitely relate to. I felt that, I was like, I I know that pain. Like it is when you're just kind of drafting it by yourself and you don't know if anybody's ever gonna read it or anybody's ever gonna like it or publish it. And it's hard, but yeah, I I, I feel that.
1: I have i have such admiration for you in in going through seven drafts because if i write a book and it does it gets rejected i throw the idea away <laughs> And I completely start a new one. I remember getting rejected for this. Oh, my God. I wrote this ridiculously long 200,000-word South Asian generational epic. And I loved the idea so much. I was talking to all of my friends about it. And I was like, this is the one. This is the one. I'm 23. This is the one. Let's go. And um, obviously got rejected across the board. And one of my friends said she'd read the whole thing. And she said, you know, there is a potential. There's potential in this book. And you should probably just go back and rework it. Maybe... Make it a bit more concise, a bit tighter. You know, let go of some of the storylines. She really pitched me on this idea of reworking it, and I said, "I'm so sorry, I'm 10,000 words into the next one. Like, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Never go back. Is that is that the is that the line? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
2: And I think that's I think there's something really relatable in that. You know, I think as writers we strive to separate our work from ourselves and I think it's really important to find that distinction but uh, I think to an extent that's never going to be completely possible is it you know a a draft of your a previous draft of your work to an extent represents a previous self and it can be quite difficult to go back to that for for lots of reasons.
1: That's a very nice way of putting it let's (laughs) let's go with that because I think the way that I would put it is that I kind of have like an impatience, I think. And I I don't have the patience in reworking an idea until I get it right. I just kind of want to be right the first time through. So when I was being edited, it was, it was actually weirdly like fascinating because it opened up a door into me that I never knew that that door needed to be open. And I kind of saw a lot of myself in that process and I was like, okay, I'm learning who I am, but it was really fun to be able to rework it. But, um, I'm now trying to edit my second book before I send it to my editor. Oh, I can't do it. I'm just sat there and I'm like, it's been written. Someone else do this for me, please. I don't want to. Oh,
2: I love that. When I when I met my agent for the first time, one of the first things she asked me was like, "Are you comfortable having editorial input?" And I was like, "Yes, please, please take this thing from me and like just take this broken mess of a novel and fix it, please." Yeah,
0: because if you work in, as I mentioned. Penguin Random House. So you work in the industry. How how has it been? Sort of being on the other side of it now, and obviously you're you're, you're straddling both sides. But how how has that felt?
1: Oh, it, that is such a fascinating topic, and I think I could talk about it for hours. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that here. I'm not gonna do that. I promise. But it's really interesting because I think so. It's kind of it's kind of a double edged sword in that on one hand it's very cool to be in the industry that you're being. In the publishing industry, because you know all the things. So editors don't have to tell you things. Your my agent doesn't have to explain stuff to me mm-hmm. the way that she says she has to explain to other authors. I just kind of I know. But then that knowledge is also my fall because I know too much. And so when I am working on my own books, for example, like you know, I know what the lead time is for publicity pieces and i know what the lead time is for profiles and reviews and all those kinds of things and so if i'm not hearing from my publicist at a certain time i'm like oh i don't have it you know and that's kind of and that kind of kills me and then i'll get the email and i'll be like oh i already knew i already knew because you didn't email me by this certain point to tell me that this was happening being published now is really hard because i have access to all the sales data not just my own sales data but like every book in the industry and so i can't help myself from just like checking every single book that has been published in the same time frame, and comparing it to my own, you know, it's, so it's really fascinating On in in that it's both a really, really good thing because it means I know so much, I can come in, I don't have to have, you know, my expectations shifted because I know what certain books sell and I know a level they sell out and all that kind of stuff. But it's also devastating because I'm like, oh my God, I'm seeing all these authors get all these things and I'm not getting them. And the worst part is, the worst part, is when you see a book that you've deemed not to be as good as yours, and it's getting all the slots and all the publicity stuff, and you're just sort of sitting there and you're like, I can't believe that this is happening.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Is any of this ringing true okay to you as well? That's so interesting because I so I also worked in publishing, but in a, um, a few years ago, but in a very different publisher. I worked for a poetry publisher in Manchester, so I kind of got to know the structures of right. publishing and like some of the basic things, which are just true across publishers, like the 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 amount of time that you need to give your publisher bef- between sending in the manuscript and the not the book being published, but. Um, it was a very very different operation Um, and I yeah and I I think I probably I feel quite fortunate now actually Catherine because I didn't a lot of that stuff that you're talking about I absolutely cannot relate to you at all like we didn't see the sort of same access to sales figures or any of that stuff and I think gosh I feel quite lucky now
1: yeah it really it really messes (laughs)
2: really messes with your head
0: (laughs) I always um, like to ask my guests what they've been reading and enjoying recently. And obviously, you know, we we as readers, we as writers are huge readers uh, and especially having worked in the industry. And as a teacher, OK, you know, we are reading a lot and very widely. Um, is there anything that you've read recently, OK, that you'd like to sort of just mention and recommend can be in something new, can be a couple of things, anyone you, that you want to put on our radar? Yeah,
2: so I'm reading at the moment um, Sean Hewitt's book All Down Darkness Wide. Sean um, is someone I know primarily as a poet his book um, Tongues of Fire came out I think it was last year but this is a memoir of um, sort of love and mental health and and sex and queerness and it's just written in the most beautiful prose Um, I think it's coming out in July I'm reading a proof of it at the moment Um, I'm drowning in proofs this is something that I think I didn't anticipate as being a as being a novelist that you get sent all this stuff and I'm not a fast reader but um, this is one that is a real that's really a standout for me it's really really beautiful.
0: Fantastic. And what about you? Kasim? Have you found some time to, to read some new stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend two. one which is has been out for a few years called Pachinko. And I think the author's name is Ming Jin Lee. I should have really looked this up before this podcast. But I think everybody knows Pachinko because it's an incredibly popular book. And it's about to become like an incredible TV show on Apple TV Plus, um, which I'm really excited about because it looks fascinating. But it's this it's this incredible story of like a hundred years, I think, essentially told through like one family. And it's set sort of in Korea slash Japan. And it's about the sort of relationship between those two countries over that span of time. And it's so intimate. It's so intimate and so involving in the characters. And I, I what I find really fascinating about it is I'm not a massive historical fiction reader. When I have read historical fiction, I find myself kind of getting a little bit it's just not for me because I think I I don't like the descriptions. I, (laughs) I don't like massive descriptions. And I just, with this book, I feel like what she does so excellently, at least for me, is the writing is, and I want to say simple, but I don't mean that in a condescending or an insulting way. What I mean is she's such a talented writer that she manages to give you so much information in like the fewest words possible. And so the writing just really carries you along. And I, I think I read it over like four or five days and it's like a 700 page book or something ridiculous like that. It's massive. And I just couldn't stop myself from reading it. It's, it's really something. It's just incredibly written. And I learned so much about that relationship between Japan and Korea. And I, I cried at one point. It's really good. I would recommend it to everybody. Um, and then the second book, because I read all the time, um, is a much more contemporary book. It's called Cleopatra and Frankenstein. And I also received a proof of it, OK, because my publisher for the sent me one. And I remember my publicist was like, I think you might like this. I'm not really sure. I think you might like it. I read it in two days. It is like lyrically written. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. It's really sexy. And it's like this this book about Cleo and Frank uh, who give each other the nicknames Cleopatra and Frankenstein, which is very cute. And they sort of meet and Cleo is, I think, in her 20s and Frank is in his 40s. And when I started, when I started reading it, I thought, oh, this is going to be a story about the age gap. I've been here before. We've seen this before. And actually it's not that, I mean, that, that is an aspect of the book, but actually it's about what young love. And I mean, young as in like new love can be like between people when it's really intense and then sort of fades away a little bit, but it's also about this massive cast of characters and how they all exist in New York. And I just, ah, I was so, I was so taken by it. I think, Coco Mellors, who's the author. I think she's an incredible, incredible writer. And I would read anything she wrote.
0: Wow, that sounds fab, actually. Oh, they both sound great. But yeah, that one particularly, I'm, I'm off to New York, <laughs> check me uh, very soon. So maybe that's one to take for the uh, for the plane or something that sounds like it could I be. would
1: recommend getting the UK edition. I love the US cover. But the UK edition is it's, it's beautiful.
0: Okay, and to your point about writing simply, but not meaning it as like an insult that that put me in mind of um, Elizabeth Stroud, who I always think writes simply I think the writing is incredibly simple, and yet it's genius you know I just think there's there's a it's a real skill to be able to do that isn't it and and also to create the, the world and and you know describe things in essentially less words <laughs> <laughs>
1: if you um if you ask my editor what is the worst thing about my writing i think she'd probably say that oh custom uses like seven metaphors when only one is necessary and he repeats himself constantly so like this idea of concise writing is one that i'm very attracted to because i can't seem to do it i just (laughs) i'm like constantly overwriting i'm constantly being like like a really a really good example of me doing this in my writing is when i'll say something really simple like he said sadly and then I'd be like and then he was sad and he was also very sad when he said that and when he said that he was quite sad when he did <laughs> yeah
2: and say that's not true so I've I'm, I'm not finished good intentions yet but I am re- I am reading it and that's that's not true you have a really lovely concise
1: it's- style but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna present the opposition there that's not true well I can I can I can take that compliment from you because. You're a great writer too. And so that means a lot, but that's the edited version. Okay. Remember that always. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, well, thank you both for those fab recommendations. Brilliant. And now it's time for another because it is time for the book off where each of you is going to tell us about a book that you love that you think we should all read and you'll have three minutes uninterrupted to do so if you so wish to use the three minutes you don't have to use all three minutes if you don't want to but if you're still talking at the three minute mark we're either gonna honk you out or ring you out so uh, a bit of admin to get through and okay as you're technically traveling the furthest down the wires would you like to step up to the plate first or do you want to see what kasim has got and go second? I'm happy to step up to the plate. I'm ready. He's ready. Whoa. Okay, fighting talk. Uh, I'm terrified.
1: Kazim... I'm terrified.
0: <laughs> <laughs> At the uh, three-minute mark, Kasim, would you prefer the score bell or do you want the bicycle horn?
1: Oh, I want the horn. The horn sounds really fun.
0: You've got it. You've got it, man. Um, All right, just before we start the timer then, okay, just tell us the book that you're
2: putting forward, please. Uh, So the book I'm putting forward is called Hola Papi, How to Come Out in a Walmart Parking Lot and Other Life Lessons by John Paul Brammer. It's such a great title. All right, I'm
0: putting three minutes on the clock then, and it's over to you, uninterrupted, to tell us all about this book. Over to you.
2: Okay, right, I'm ready. So, (laughs) Ola Papi is this fantastic book. Um, It's basically a memoir written by John Paul Brammer, who I guess is maybe more more known as a columnist. So before he wrote this book, he had a column and still has one called Ola Papi, in which he offers advice on love and relationships and mental health. And it started because he got approached on Grindr, on the gay sort of dating and hookup app Grindr, by um, racist white people using this term "Hola papi" to address somebody of um, of Mexican Hispanic heritage, and he. Sort of subverted that and reclaimed it, um, and so every column, every um, agony aunt sort of letter would have to begin with Olapapi, and he is just the most sensitive writer who's really thoughtful and really wise, despite actually what being in his sort of early thirties. And this uh, book Olapapi is it sort of takes the um, agony aunt format and uses that to write his memoir. So he writes really movingly about his relationship with his um, his Mexican heritage and with his family and with himself and coming out and the sort of the dating and sex experiences that he's had both positive and very negative and very funny and it's it's a book that is just really wise but is also um, really heartwarming and uplifting, um, but also feels very honest. And I would recommend this particularly to anybody who's queer and who has maybe had those experiences of growing up queer and coming out and and struggling with that. But just to anybody who wants to read something really funny and really smart and really beautifully written.
0: Whoa, look at that, right, there's a bit of that. Uh, in in one minute, 44 seconds, okay. Woo, zoom through it, mate. Um, wonderfully done thank you have a breather and uh, have a sip of tea we'll put three minutes back on the clock now for you kasim and just before we start tell us the book you're putting forward please
1: of course of course it's called the incarnations by susan barker and do you know what i'm not even gonna pretend that i haven't talked about this book before on every other (laughs) podcast i've been on so yeah let's go all right yeah
0: well you're well versed then in pitching um over to you then three minutes on the clock to tell us all about The Incarnations.
1: Yeah, of course. So the Incarnation starts off with a letter written by an unknown person to an unknown person. And the letter essentially states that the person who's writing it is the soulmate of the person that they're writing to. And these two people have lived in six previous lives. And this person is writing to them to state that I'm your biographer. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to remind you about the lives that we've lived before. And you're gonna see why we should come together, why we're going to bring each, like bring ourselves to one another. And then it then the second chapter, so it's like it's like two pages, really draws you in, beautiful writing. And then the second chapter is written in third person and it's sort of your very, you know, standard narrative. And it's this taxi driver in Beijing, and he sees he's he picks this letter up in his taxi and he's like, I have no idea what this is. This is so stupid. And he kinda of puts it away. And he goes back his day, and he's got these friends and he's got a wife and he's got a kid. And he sort of there is this aching loneliness to him that comes off the page. And you're sort of thinking, okay, you've got this life, but you don't seem very really happy in it. Like, where are, where is your family? Where are, where, where are your people? Why why do you feel so unmoored in this life that you created for yourself? And then you get the second letter. And the second letter says, okay, um, you are not listening to me. So I'm going to tell you the first life that we lived together. And essentially what then transpires is you get all of these letters, that talk about these previous lives that these two people have lived together and you get these interstitial chapters, which it this man's current life and they come together in the end and you get this like incredible, like journey through Chinese history. And it's like an exploration of like the sort of darker parts of Chinese history. So it is quite a dark book. You know, there is murder and there is sexual assault in there. There's a lot of blood sometimes, but it's beautifully written. and So evocative. And then also you get the story of this man who's living this life and, it's a rich tapestry of a history that he has with his family and what's happened to him when he was a kid. And when they come together at the end, I, I can't even describe, like, it kind of felt like, it kind of felt like when I, when I finished it, like my flesh was raw. Like I just was goose pimpled all over. I was sitting in my bed at like two o'clock in the morning on a Thursday night. And I was thinking, I cannot believe that I read something so groundbreakingly brilliant and nobody has ever told me that this book exists. And I just sort of sat there, and the funniest thing about my relationship to this book is that my very, very good friend recommended it to me about five years ago when we first met. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll read it. And I just never did. <laughs> and then five years later in January, I picked up a paperback and I read it and I sent her this massive, this very long missive on WhatsApp. And I was like, I've just finished it. I love it so much. You were right. You were right. You were right. And she sent me a message at seven o'clock in the morning. And she said, you're insane. Why were you texting me at two o'clock in the morning? But also I was right. <laughs> And so now I recommend it to everybody because I think it's one of those, it changed my life. It changed how I think about writing and how I think about the ways in which we, Oh, you're about to horn me. Well, I could I talk about that book for hours. I love it so much.
0: Oh, I feel bad Kassim, for, for cutting you down there. But yes, that was the, that was the three minute mark, but I knew you had, well, we got the passion. We got the passion for it. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> that was a really, really great pitch. I have to say, well, both fabulous sounding books both brilliant pictures okay to come back to ola papi i don't know of john paul rammer i have to say this book sounds wonderful and i in you am i right in thinking he's still writing his columns
2: yeah he is yeah he has um a Substack stack yeah. and he publishes them there yeah
0: great yeah i love the fact that he sort of reclaimed this term ola papi i love that you you described him as sort of wise beyond his years a very sensitive writer that it's he writes very movingly about his heritage about the family and sexual experiences coming out I mean it's it's quite a skill I think to to well to write a memoir full stop but to make it sort of funny heartwarming uplifting but also wise and to to sort of dig back into the into into your own life and be able to put that on the page i think it's
2: it just sounds like it's really really great yeah it's such a wonderful book in so many ways he is he writes so well about culture and um, language and his experience of sort of um, learning Spanish when he was sort of working at a factory with some sort of um, with some Spanish um, speaking workers that he just met I just thought it, it was so moving because he's really honest about these things that maybe don't get talked about very much that kind of how do you square up to your heritage and sort of claim it when right. you feel like you were born in a different country from your from your parents and your grandparents. What, how do you find out who you are and tell the world who you are and tell yourself who you are? He he writes so powerfully about that. I think it's really great. It's
0: it just sounds fab, um, and I loved your your pitch for it as well. And then the incarnations again, Casio. I just think wow, there's so much to unpack here, and I knew that you could have gone on for at least another minute um, before before <laughs> you got honked. But um, I just love the I love the first of all the the setup of this novel and the the letter from an unknown person to an unknown person and the, the six lives that have lived gone before instantly i'm like right what's going on here and then when you said you know, you know by chapter 3 or so you've cut to this taxi driver and it's all i was just like wow and it sounds like it's so packed and yet sort of very readable because obviously you read it in a very quick time so although it sounds like it's a big book and a very ambitious book that it's actually very accessible
1: oh i would say completely i think you know i i had a little look online while i was reading it because i thought i need to read around this book i need to read all the reviews and the articles and the the sort of conjecture (laughs) online as it were and i did see some people who said that they were turned off by and that's why i put in those little warnings that it is quite a dark it is quite a dark book but it is to me it was just it carried me along I couldn't stop thinking about it every time I was working or doing something else. I was thinking about, I just want to get back to this book. (laughs) It's yeah. Sorry. I'm going back into pitch mode. This is the thing about working in publishing. You learn how to pitch a book so excellently because you have to. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe this wasn't fair actually, Um, (laughs) but But, uh, it's just an excellent book. And I think just like Pachinko, it, you learn about a history, but not in mm -hmm. like a dense academical way, academical, academic way. Um, you learn about it in like a rich, visual, fictional way in which you get yeah. to like really, really relate and resonate with the characters. Oh, I love that book so much, oh, my god!
0: And when you, when you said literally when you were saying, but you know, when I read the end and how it comes together, I felt like my flesh was raw that you couldn't believe you read something so groundbreaking. I mean, that was like I was literally going wow, in thinking then why are we why are we all not reading this book? You know, I mean, what an absolute accolade
1: <laughs> that's so, my that's my question to the world and also yeah. this is the funniest funniest thing about me but like when when i read this book i read it in a paperback and i went onto ebay and i bought a used hardback for three pounds because i liked the hardback cover <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful then. that's brilliant brilliant
0: do you keep the paperback too that's what i want to know
1: well, I've, I've, I've lended it out to a friend. I oh, said to well a friend, done. you yeah. need to read this book. Um, but I will never give the hardback out. That's that's mine forever.
2: The hardback for keeps, the paperback for lending. I like that. Really smart. I can't tell you how many books I've lent out. I must have lent out like three copies of White Teeth by Zadie Smith that I've never seen again. <laughs> and they are never black. Back. <laughs> I
0: know. A, a little tip for you then, okay, is... Uh, take a photo of the person holding the book that you've lent it to which i know sounds a little bit like it's you know like crime scene but if you just do a little mugshot of them holding it then you remember and you go and whenever they say oh no i don't think you gave me that mate you go yeah here's the whatsapp photo from 2020
2: (laughs) when i lent you this book sorted i love it
1: No, you know, you know what Kasim does. Kasim gives out while well, he talks about himself in the third person. Now, apparently, <laughs> <But> he, <laughs> I, I give out copies to people, and then I obsessively remember, and then next time I see them, I'm like. Do you remember when I gave you, I don't know, Real Life by Brandon Taylor and you it's been two years and you haven't read it? What's up with that? And they're like, just leave me alone. My God, I'm watching Netflix. Just, you've already read the book. Why do you need it back?
0: And you're like, Come on, you've yeah, had enough time up. to
1: read it. <laughs> and what?
0: as an aside, what an amazing book that is, real life. Um, thank you both for bringing these books to my attention. And I'm sure lots of listeners will be thinking, oh yeah, I haven't heard of that at all. I thought, you both did fabulous jobs. Uh, I love the sound of both of them and I want to read them both. But I, do you know what? I'm going to, f- for the passion alone, I think I'm going to take the incarnation. <speaks gasps> I think that's going to hey! be a, a, a <laughs> pittic, Kasim. All the winner. you picked it, Kasim. All your publishing prowess has paid off there with your uh, pitching <laughs> ability. <laughs> but I genuinely <laughs> felt like, as I said at the end, when you were talking about how it made you feel and everything, I just thought, my God, I've got to read it. And I must absolutely, okay, check out the writings of John Paul Brammer, though. It just sounds brilliant. This memoir sounds amazing as well. So that's also going on the, the the list, as as most of these pictures do. I mean, you should see the list. It's growing and growing, growing taller than me. Thank you both for those fabulous recommendations. And thank you both for being here and for, for such a lovely chat. And Here Again Now by Okechaku and Zilu is out now, published by Dialogue Books, And Good Intentions by Kasim Ali. Also out now, it's published by Fourth Estate, and I can highly recommend them both. They are fabulous reads, and you should get yourself copies of those. Um, What an absolute pleasure. Thank you both for being here, and uh, brilliant
1: to have you both on. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us.